Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. This is Simon Ruiz. Joining me for today's Bigger Picture is Mike Indian, political commentator, of course, author of the Groucho Tendency blog. Um, Mike, we're going to talk about Sue Gray's report and everything that goes along with it. Um, I mean, what an almighty mess. Well, what else can we say? The, the friend of mine described it to me yesterday as, as the biggest announcement of this parliament. I... I'm not so sure I'd characterise it as that, but I'd certainly say that for the Conservative Party, it presents a, a moment of, of reckoning. It's, it's probably the latest in a long line of events that have, are holding a, an uncomfortable mirror up to the behaviour of Boris Johnson mm. as Prime Minister. And this is, of course, the long-delayed internal inquiry into the gatherings that took place in Downing Street in 2020 and 21 when lockdown rules were in effect. Sue Gray is a senior civil servant in the Cabinet Office who has for many years headed up the ethics and propriety function as well. She only took on the inquiry after it was disclosed in the media that Simon Case, the Cabinet Secretary, Mm -hmm. has been part of the gatherings himself. So he's actually had to (laughs) step down from that. Uh, the report has been there was an interim report earlier this year that uh, was a very short update but it it gave us a flavour of the criticism that she would level what we have found now is that although Sue Gray has looked into a lot of these gatherings she has by no means had access to the full picture the concurrent investigation by the Metropolitan Police which saw hundreds of fines issued to number 10 staff, including one to the Prime Minister and one to the Chancellor and one to the Prime Minister's wife, interfered with her inquiry. So she didn't fully look into, say, an inquiry in the Downing Street flat. Her report runs to about 37 pages, and it makes for pretty damning reading for the Conservative Party in general and the Prime Minister in particular, I would say. There was no... uh, specific call for Boris Johnson to stand down, but you could hardly imagine anybody, any previous uh, political leader or prime minister or head of government having uh, evidence of the gatherings that took place, the stories of alcohol-fueled parties running on until the early hours of the morning. One infamous example, widely quoted by the press, someone throwing up against a wall, a fight breaking out. More worryingly, though, and I think this is probably the element we should focus on, particularly for the Westminster Watcher perspective, is the culture inside Downing Street that Boris Johnson presides over, not least of all the examples Sue Gray touches on of cleaning and security staff being yes, treated with less than the respect they deserved. Yes. yes. And indeed, the people who uh, warned that the party should not actually happen 
were treated with some degree of contempt as well, it would appear. Yes, and one of the, the more damning messages that's been circulated is from the Prime Minister's now former Principal Private Secretary, the civil servant, um, who Sir Martin Reynolds, who was his closest civil service aide until very, very recently, saying, to quote, they believe they got away with it. So there is an impression here of a Downing Street that views itself as above the rules. We still have a prime minister who's been criminally sanctioned. The media is largely obsessing about whether or not this will lead to Boris Johnson's resignation or the Conservative Party forcing him out. Mm. There is a consensus at the moment that the prime minister is safe, but that's only because, I would argue, that events have moved in his favour. The war in Ukraine, the cost of living crisis... Large numbers of the MPs don't know who to replace him with. This is not mm. a judgment. If Boris Johnson had any moral integrity, having presided over any organisation uh, where, where these kind of mm. failings had been identified, the head of the organisation would certainly have to depart. The role of changing leadership would be necessitated. There's already been major shifts in Downing Street since then. There's virtually a new coterie of advisors now around the Prime Minister. Uh, the, the 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 people that were all closely connected with this have all largely left their roles now. There's questions of whether the Cabinet Secretary himself will have to leave. But unfortunately, the Prime Minister appears to be safe for now, but it's largely because his own party don't want to move against him rather than him enjoying a great deal of depth of support on his own backbenches, I would say. Before we come back to that, there was something you mentioned. You said the cost of living crisis has sort of gone in the prime minister's favour. I mean, how surely? Because whoever's responsible, whichever government is in power, is always blamed when things like that happen. Well, it's the short term at the moment. You mean the just simply deflecting interest away from party in, in the short term it, the yeah. long-term consequences will undoubtedly be very dire for the government if they do not find the right response and we're going to be touching on the 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 the, the measures that the chancellor is announcing actually as we are recording mm. this at the moment including the the the, the astonishing u-turn the government has executed in that area the cost of living crisis like the war in ukraine has actually helped deflect attention away it's it's actually given the conservatives something to point to and say actually there's serious business the government's been getting on with unlike the war in ukraine though where the prime minister's handling has actually been uh welcome he actually has demonstrated considerable solidarity and i think statesmanship in that regard and, and to give him mm. full credit for his response there our staff we've been one of the the most vocal countries that have stood with Ukraine. This government has done, you know, been a big supporter of Vladimir Zelensky and the Ukrainian people. The cost of living crisis is something that will continue to worsen. There's talk of a recession before the end of the year, double-digit inflation. Recent inflation projections for the month of April showed inflation running at 9%. The Bank of England has warned of potentially hard-hitting things on food prices. The Chancellor's having to move on that today. Yes, this is the Bank of England that claimed only recently that it was all transitory and there's nothing to worry about, nothing to see here. Just move along, please. I'm sorry, I'm afraid the Bank of England made absolutely asleep at the at the wheel. It's got, almost everything they say now just makes me incredibly angry um, after years of people warning what low interest rates would actually do. They've got no ammunition. They've painted themselves into the corner. Hey, sorry, rant over. No, it's Mike. fair enough. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we are, we are just, a financial radio station. Yeah, so yeah, it's it important just to makes me that. so angry. Um, I mean, any, as you said earlier, I mean, any other um, prime minister would probably have gone by now. Um, I mean, I, I just don't get the impression, even when he sort of ostensibly apologising that he even believes in the apologies. He doesn't. And I think the tone that Boris Johnson struck yesterday was undoubtedly a defiant one. The the tone of the remarks 
suggests that i mean look at the details of what's been included wine cheese and pizza and beer being provided karaoke machines being commended staff leaving the building in the middle of the night wine time fridays this Mm. is not the uh, an organization which shows respect for the rules they were trying to enforce now but that would be pretty damning even if there had not been a pandemic Exactly. And you can imagine, I can't imagine any work environment outside of the COVID rules that would condone this kind of behaviour. Certainly any organisation, I I spent most of my career working in the private sector, if there were any sort of altercations at work functions, there would be serious disciplinary uh, measures brought in. Work socials themselves are not a, a bad thing. And obviously, you could argue that number 10 has a very, you know, I think Steve Gray is entirely right to single out the fact that Downing Street effectively functions somewhere between a government department and a glorified enhanced private office. And it needs the prime minister needs a full department around him. But unfortunately, we are continuing to get away from the fact that everyone who works inside that building you know, it's, it's different for, say, the Treasury of Rishi Sunak, where he has tens of thousands of civil servants responding mm. to him. Downing Street, everyone in Downing Street works there because the Prime Minister wants them to be there, especially at a very senior level. And we've seen that by the fact the Prime Minister has had to turn over completely mm. the entire senior leadership of number 10 in this time apart from himself it's classic deflection it's classic blame he was at most of these gatherings as well even for just half an hour and to say that it went on after he left is not really good enough he should have given a clear steer if they gathered for half an hour had a couple of drinks and then dispersed again i think that would have been good the fact that some of these gatherings went on as late as they did the fact he was even present was arguably even worse the fact that he was he had knowledge of these things going on. At the very least, it demonstrates a lack of a grip of the organisation. At the very worst, it suggests an explicit endorsement. The truth is probably somewhere in between that Boris Johnson has allowed a culture to grow inside number 10 where his subordinates felt intoxicated, not just by alcohol, but by the setting they were in and that they were above the rules. And that's an incredibly dangerous thing for the Conservative Party and for the Prime Minister to have to contend with. I'll let you pause for breath, Mike. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio. I'm in conversation with political commentator Mike Indian. Um, Mike, obviously, they say pictures paint a thousand words. I mean, the, the photographs seem almost more damning than the report itself. Um, do we, I mean, people are saying they're taken by Dominic Cumming. I don't know if they all, if they were or not. Is that what people generally think? The photographs of are serving. Uh, if we look at the images themselves, Boris, I, I, there was a time I honestly thought, Simon, that Boris Johnson would have been undone by a photograph of him raising a glass of wine or a can of beer mm. in front of a room full of people. Clearly, that is not the case. And there are many people who will feel incredibly disappointed by the outcome of this as well. I'm wary of the refrain that people are moving on from it. Yes, I believe that the 
it's very easy to, in Westminster to take a side of this and say, look, this is the biggest issue to hit the country. It isn't. But I think it will feed into a large uh, and growing perception that this government does not operate by the symbols. And this goes all the way back to Dominic Cummings himself. Now, we mustn't let Mr. Cummings off the hook. He himself did break the rules. You know, he was part of some of these gatherings. He drove to Barnard Castle last year. He himself has actually escaped a fixed penalty notice as well. And But Dominic Cummings was only there because Boris Johnson wanted him to be. Mm. He did not... The Prime Minister has ultimately given his advisers a lot of leeway to be able to perpetrate certain types of behavior. And unfortunately, the simple fact of the matter is that without clear leadership and a clear message at the top that this isn't allowed, if there had been a one-off gathering which the Prime Minister had walked into and said, this is not acceptable, I accept you're working very hard, but wrap this up in 30 minutes, go back to your desks, this is not going to happen. If there had been a clear message from him for that, he could have come out of this, you know, there would be a question of staff undercutting his um, authority. The existing arrangements also he's put in place, he has doubled down on appointing parliamentarians to key positions. So the new head of the Downing Street Policy Unit, Andrew Griffith, is a, is a Tory MP. The new chief of staff at number 10 is also the minister of the cabinet office and a member of parliament as well. That's Stephen Barclay. These, the prime minister needs a full-time fixer behind the scenes and he's really missing, uh, I know your, your near neighbour, Eddie Lister, steady Eddie, keeping a, a hand on the tiller. And there's, there's nobody around that. There are any number of junior officials who will be sacrificed, but ultimately there is nothing in this that could exonerate Boris Johnson from the fact that he led an institution. You can have a permanent secretary to Downing Street. He can have as many trained to the civil service as it wants to. And there is merit, as I say, in the suggestions Sue Gray makes about beefing up the number mm -hmm. 10 operation to give it full support. But it doesn't change the fact that the man at the top of this is demonstrating a character which is at the very least complacent, at the very worst, I would argue, complete, mm -hmm. without, complete without moral compunction. I suppose we ought to talk briefly about um, Starmer and, you know, being in, to some degree, the same sort of situation where he actually offered to resign if the police decided that he actually committed an offence. Um, I mean, is it a matter of degree or do you think it's completely different? I don't put Keir Starmer's uh, event in the same category as Boris Johnson's. I think that you, they could clearly demonstrate. It, this is all down to interpretation of the rules. And I think we have to take a look at the legalistic thing. Yes, it's entirely right. The police look into the gathering. It's been raised in press. And Keir Starmer's, I think, played very smart politics, actually, by setting himself a clear benchmark. That if he is fined, he will resign. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very smart move to do politically. It's high risk, but I think ultimately... It's slightly unfair on the police, you'd think. It is, but arguably uh, Durham police have a policy of not issuing retrospective fines. And also I think the police have, have – I don't think – if you look at the Met, for example, the Metropolitan Police Service uh, haven't helped this inquiry at all. They've completely bungled their handling of the time in relation to the Downing Street parties and no explanation as to – for their decisions, why fixed penalty notices were issued, why they won't look into some gatherings rather than others, mm. how the Prime Minister escaped a further fixed penalty notice for what is deemed to be the, the more serious gatherings by other people. But ultimately, that case is closed now. The I, I don't put it in the same category, but it's entirely right the police look into it because I think Keir Starmer needs to come out of this exonerated as well. It may be this harms Labour in the long term, but I think having a, a curry that was planned as a work meeting 
after a day of campaigning is different to the stories of a wine fridge being bought in Downing Street, parties going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those of us who, who have experience of working around by-elections know that there's a lot of late night campaigning. There's a lot of, it's often a lot of volunteers. It's long hours with very little support. It's not, it wasn't taking place in the government building as well. It was happening in an MP's office. That Both the leader and deputy of the Labour Party have made it clear that they if found to Brooklyn, they will resign. They they have straight. They have made their case clear. They've addressed it more openly. I'm not suggesting that they should be applauded for it. No, it's not. But it also highlights, of course, the absurdity of the rules. But the big difference is this yes. is the key thing. Keir Starmer didn't make the rules. Boris Johnson listened to advice from those around him, and ultimately, his government, he as prime minister, chose to enforce these rules. And it told us time and again in videos, in press conferences, in government adverts to abide by them. Labour went along with it. Labour may have endorsed it, but the Prime Minister is the source and origin and the authority that imposed these rules. And that authority is clearly going to undermine what's been shown in the Seagrave report. So from what you say, you, it sounds as though you think he's sort of barely clinging on by the skin of his teeth. And yes, yes. certain things have di- distracted from Partygate, perhaps. But uh, I mean, you look you look forward. We're going to talk about the cost of living crisis in a moment. You look forward. You, you can't think of anything that's going to pin up the Prime Minister's position shore it up i mean the cost of living crisis is going to get more and more serious it's barely started i mean the look at look at what happened to the conservative party when it was a similar position after when they changed leadership at the end of thatcher's premiership john major had a very temporary boost in popularity but he was undone by the economy by black wednesday mm. if the government bungles its handling of this unprecedented level of inflation and don't forget everybody who's now involved in key decisions in government, in the Treasury, in the Bank of England, are all post-Thatcher in their view. They've never had to deal with high inflation. Boris Johnson can't look back to the 1970s to, to, to decide how governments might have dealt with that. If he was a student of history, anything more recent than, say, Pericles, he might actually realise <laughs> that modern political history had more apt lessons for him. But the economy is ultimately what will underpin his response to people's cost of living as another issue. And it is representing a genuine crisis. We are going to talk about the measures the Chancellor has just announced in a moment. Mm. But these ideas have to be seen to be coming from number 10. And yes, the Prime Minister may have uh, may have a may have a different instinct to his Chancellor on this. He may have desired to be Keynesian and to resort to stimulus packages as he often does. But the other side of the coin is that fundamentally, the only reason Boris Johnson is still Prime Minister is because not enough Conservative MPs have decided they want to get rid of him. And I commend every single Tory MP who comes out and and calls on the Prime Minister to resign because they understand, albeit belatedly, the gravity of the situation, which is that we had a point where the government went from being trusted and Boris Johnson chose not to use that to rebuild our politics. I'd argue it was incredibly needed in the government if it had handled this inquiry, this, this problem well, the rest of it would have done that, but used it to squander it on simple political advantage, first to protect those around him, now, now, mm. then now to protect himself. And you think having somebody like Eddie Lister around? Presumably, who Boris would would have been willing to listen to because he's worked with him so often in the past, but has now been ennobled, and as far as I understand it, well out of these things now. Rather glad not to be there. But you think somebody like that, a cool older head, might actually have helped in that rebuilding? I, I think there was a reason Eddie Lister stayed on as long as he did. His his role in moving into Downing Street initially was only meant to be a temporary one. He ended yeah. up being around for far longer, mainly because of the volatile nature of the relationship between Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings. 
The Prime Minister, however, if we look at his his record of firstly as Mayor of London, his disastrous first term when appointments were hemorrhaging left, right and centre, then as Foreign Secretary, now as Prime Minister, he has a record of not being able to run institutions well. He is an excellent character. He is in terms of his, you know, his charisma in terms of how he is able to present himself, but that is all he is. He's a two-dimensional figure at the end of the day. And we live in a world, Simon, where increasingly we're looking at three, four, five-dimensional solutions being needed. We need better thinkers for these times. Boris Johnson needs to recognise that and get out of the way so the Conservative Party can start thinking about what comes next. But what will... Well, let's actually, let's take a break first before we go into a, a difficult question like that. Uh, might give you, a, again, another pause um, to take a breather. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Bigger Picture on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with political commentator Mike Indian. Mike, before we talk about the cost of living crisis um, a little, um, you were saying, you know, we commend MPs who uh, you know, put their name down and saying they want the Prime Minister to go. It's rather surprising that many of them with the general election only two years away are not slightly more worried about what's going to happen. But because the Prime Minister surrounded himself largely with people who don't seem to have very much to them, who on earth is likely to replace him? Well, who's in the running at the moment? Well, there are. This is where I disagree. Where a lot of commentators are actually think there are a large number of people who could potentially take over from Boris Johnson. Um, I think the media often misreads the situation, and I think it's 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 a convenient narrative that we've developed. We have to remember actually that there are any number of Conservatives who've been in Parliament. They've been in government ten years now, and whilst yes, I I think that we have lost a lot of governing experience. There are still people who have the ambition to take over as well. There are any number around the cabinet table, whether it's Liz Truss, Rishi Sunak, Jeremy Hunt on the back benches, Tom Tugendhat, who's already said he would run, who would want to do it. I think the most likely candidate at the moment to put the hat in the ring would be the Foreign Secretary and Jeremy Hunt. I could see that being, I'm not so sure whether other cabinets like Priti Patel would be. We can talk about abilities, but I think to do so puts Boris Johnson on the pedestal. We have to realistically look at who's available in the running and who might be the the most likely successor. Now, the Chancellor was until very recently. I think his star could still recover. It might be that his handling of the cost of living crisis is, 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 is on par with the Treasury solutions for dealing with COVID that brought him such a claim in the first place. Certainly, government spending is not likely to fall, even though we're spending £80 billion a year now servicing the national debt, which is a, an astonishing figure. Oh, it's yeah, it'll seem minor in a year or two. It will do uh, compared to that. But whoever, the other thing to bear in mind is there is also a school of thought on the Tory backbenches about whether or not the next election might be one in which they should lose. So they might be. So what we're effectively looking for now is, is I think removing Boris Johnson mm. uh, would ultimately be for the benefit of the Conservative Party now. Uh, I don't know whether there's a leader they could do that would stem the flow. I think Boris Johnson will still be Prime Minister uh, by the next election if the next two by-elections go in his favour, if the Tories can... Basically, if Labour don't make any breakthroughs in Wakefield and the Lib Dems don't take Tiverton and Holliton, 
on the 23rd of June, I think Boris Johnson will still be prime minister in 2024. I think that will see him as safe, even if he's found in contempt of, well, even if he's found in contempt of Parliament or found to have breached privileges by the parliamentary committee. That's the only salvo remaining now. He he can weather it, and even people like Douglas Ross, who have been open critics, and the, there was a time when the Scottish Conservative Party was in open revolt against his Westminster counterpart. Douglas Ross has caveated his remarks heavily as well, and we're only we're still less than 20 MPs who've publicly said that Boris Johnson should go. We don't know how many of those have put letters in. There are those like David Davis who haven't put, said they haven't put letters in yet as well. But there's a drip, drip, drip of support, and ultimately, whilst Boris Johnson may lead the Tories into the next election, he's cert- it's certainly hard to see how he would be the the prime minister in in 10 years time and also mm. there's also a fact as well that he's also got a young family mm. i think that his don't forget that he had a health scare himself from covid just over two years ago which which makes what we've been talking about even more surprising it is surprising but a lot of this is history a lot of this is conjecture but i would just say to our listeners don't buy into the assumption that there is no one who can take over there's plenty of people who want okay. to do it they're just not brave enough to put the hats into the ring. Yeah. But we haven't got long left, but let's talk briefly about the cost of living crisis. As you said earlier, um, the Chancellor is actually talking about this as we're recording. Um, so what is there that we can say at, at the moment? Well, the first thing to say is there's been the mother of all U-turns in the fact the Chancellor has actually taken what has been Labour's flagship policy for now this is starting to 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 be something of a pattern here Mm. and imposed a windfall tax on the profits of energy companies on the oil and gas sector specifically it's going to be a 25 percent levy called the temporary targeted energy profits levy it's quite quite pithy as well there will be a sunset clause for this set into the bill and those firms that invest, though, he's, he's he's sweetening the deal for this by ensuring for oil and gas firms that do invest will get 90% tax relief on any investments. The SNAP analysis of the support package has been announced from the Paul Johnson, who's the chair of the Institute for Fiscal Studies, mm. says that this is a, a, quote, a big expensive package for the Chancellor. Alongside the tax rises already in effect, it's hugely redistributive. This is a Conservative Chancellor taking from high earners and giving to the poor. That's the head of the Institute for Fiscal Studies. This whole package, the Chancellor says, will be worth around uh, £15 billion, with around £9 billion targeted at the poorest. Uh, they'll get these people, will, these will be about 8 million pensioner households who get a, a winter fuel payment of £300. The six million pounds people who get disability benefits getting another payment of 150. So it's very targeted support. And by the sounds of it, from the IFS has said, very progressive as well. But we have a Tory government for the second time since it's been in office imposing a windfall tax on the oil and gas sector because, of course, George Osborne did it in 2014 as well. Uh, And of course, all the more surprising, you would think somebody like Sunak would know just how economically illiterate it is because companies don't really pay tax. It's it's the workers and the customers Mm. uh, and the shareholders who end up paying. It, it's one of those things that looks absolutely wonderful and really is incredibly harmful. And if you're a business operating in this country and government starts imposing taxes willy-nilly just out of here, what message does it give to other businesses that might want to operate here? I find the thing absolutely extraordinary. There are so many other things that they could have done. I mean, why are they still raising national insurance? Well, for example, the Chancellor could have brought forward his income tax cut. Stephen yeah. Swinford for the Telegraph yep. suggested that there's been no sign of any uh, removal of VAT on uh, food or fuel, which we can, of course, do yeah. outside because of the... Because, as we the, know, the yeah. income to the Treasury is actually much higher than they were anticipating. Mm. So it's not as if they haven't got room for manoeuvre. 
It's, it's got- just yet again seems to me all they want to do is whatever they think is going to curry favour in the short term. It, windfall taxes are popular, and I think there's also a certain amount of politics. To, I think the reason this will be a palatable levy is that oil and gas companies are, due to the price, uh, due to the, the the surging wholesale prices, making profits, but also the chance of trying to encourage investment mm. as well. So it, politically, it feels like a smart option. The the extra six hundred pounds for eight point eight point four million household on means tested benefits is, I would argue, a smart thing. But bear in mind that. On top of the additional £400 discounts, this takes the support package to £30 Rishi Sunak is undoubtedly the most profligate chancellor we have had in modern times. And for all the stuff about Labour, um, you know, the prawn cocktail charm offensive and selling the gold, it's this government, it's this chancellor who's having to dip his hands into his pockets. Yes, okay, and it's this Bank of England that has been printing money to pay for it, which is partly responsible for the reason we got the cost of living crisis in the first place. Exactly. And you make a very good point there about sovereign debt, actually, as well, because you mustn't forget that unlike in the past, when we've served sovereign debt by issuing uh, treasury gilts that have a 10-year maturity, sometimes Mm -hmm. longer than that as well, a lot of this debt is actually held by the Bank of England, and the maturity time is one-tenth of that, which means about a quarter of our national debt will mature in one-tenth the time. Initially, we mustn't forget two years ago with the financial and, crisis. And of course, it would all undermine the pound, which then makes the cost of living crisis still worse. Exactly. And QE has definitely driven higher inflation as well. That's yeah. one thing we can say. Uh, well, yes, I did say before we started recording how depressing I was finding everything at the moment. I'm afraid, <laughs> Mike, for once you have not cheered me up. Um, well, all, yes, the only piece of good news, I think, is the Elizabeth line has opened eventually. I have been on Crossrail as well, I could say. Have you? It's, it's worth oh, the trip. I have, yeah. I'm going to go no, next worth week. worth the trip. Okay, I shall do that next week. Something to look forward to. Maybe (laughs) when we talk next in the fortnight, sign Mike, there'll be something uh, on the horizon that makes us a little bit more optimistic. For the moment, that's it from me and from political commentator Mike Indian, author of the Groucho Tennessee blog. We'll be back with another Bigger Picture at the same time next week. The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.